0: Hi everybody. Welcome to our series called Making Your Setbacks Your Comeback. Today we're going to look at uh, the session I'm titling Setback from Fear and Insecurity to a Confident Comeback and we'll be looking at the life of Moses. I'm going to share some tips with you on how to deal with your own fear and insecurity. If you worry a lot, chances are you deal with a lot of what ifs. You know, some what ifs are really big, and some are small. But even those small ones can feel really big, and some can even be scary. So there are lots of kinds of what ifs, and and if we're not careful, they will take over our mind. So have you ever been consumed by a bad case of the what ifs? You might have asked questions like, what if something bad happens? What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't get chosen? What if I get bad news? Well, take just a second here to think about what your own what-ifs have been uh, in your life, and think about that for a second. Well, a recent survey found that 60% of women experience hurtful, self-critical thoughts on a weekly basis. That is a lot. That's a lot of women who are experiencing hurt and and self-critical thinking. We all deal with insecurities from time to time, and some of us are better at camouflaging those than others. And so you may be feeling that you're not attractive or intelligent or situated in life like you want to be, and so sometimes you begin to compare yourself to other people, and that can make you feel worse. So those are some of the situations that we're going to find Moses dealing with. Those thoughts of insecurity and then those predictions of what ifs that might occur in life. So when we first meet uh, Moses in, in the lesson I'm going to be teaching today, he is a man who has his own fears and insecurities, and he even has an anger problem. One day, he witnesses an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. So he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Moses then took these matters in his own hands the only way he knew how, so he he killed the man. But see, a crime is still a crime, and because of that crime, Moses needed to leave Pharaoh's house, and that's the place he had grown up. So Moses was now banished to the wilderness, where all he did for years was tend to sheep. But then At a time when many would be thinking about the last chapters on earth, God spoke to Moses out of this burning bush, and he called him to a position of leadership. It's as if God is saying, I know you think that life has passed you by, but I'm going to use you to lead my people out of bondage in Egypt and into the promised land. And so God tells him, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And as I'm telling the story of Moses, I want you to hear how many times Moses protested, Moses objected, Moses had an excuse, Moses talked back to God. And here is one of those cases. The scripture tells us, but Moses protested to God and said, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So do you hear what Moses is saying? He says, who am I? And he's revealing this inferiority complex, his own self-doubt and his insecurity. Well, each time we hear a protest or a complaint or an excuse, God answers. And here's what God said. And I'm reading from Exodus 3. I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. So Moses gave God this series of reasons or really excuses about why he was not able to do what God asked him. And we're going to hear more of those. Now, put yourself in a similar situation when you've been called on to do something or you know you have um, work to do or you have a mission to do or you have anything that you know is a direction that you need to be going in your life. But you are in a setback. You're in a pit of despair. You're in a hole. You're stuck. And you, too, might begin making excuses. Does that sound like anybody? Probably so, because we all have done that from time to time. Have you ever thought that God just might be trying to help you make a comeback? And you just keep finding excuses? See, that's what Moses did. Now, think about these insecurities that you might have, like Moses did in saying, you know, who am I? Well, the Lord God Almighty called on Moses to do something, and Moses found an excuse. Well, can you can you get around your own head that some of these insecurities and excuses we have just keep us stuck? Have you ever been confused or mortified or upset because you need to do something that would expose what you perceive to be a personal flaw or weakness? See, that's what was happening to Moses. He was thinking, oh no, he's asking me to do this, and I can't do it. Well, as a result, do you just stay in your comfy chair at home protected from the outside world, or do you get locked up emotionally so that nobody can get in Well, here's what God is saying to you, just as he said to Moses, I will be with you. I will lead you through this. Trust me. And if you're having trouble with that, know that Moses did too, because he went on with more excuses. So now God has offered his help. And here, verse 13 in Exodus 3 says, But Moses protested. (laughs) If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, well, what is his name? And then what do I need to tell them? Well, Moses now is coming up with something else that causes him to question God. And he says, I don't know what to say. What if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? What if, what if? Do you live in the what-ifs also? And maybe use those excuses not to get out of your setback or your pit. So, you know, and it could be a decision you're trying to make about an array of things. It could be this big trip you, you want to take and and maybe your spouse wants you to take or your family does, but you start the what-ifs. Or maybe it's as simple as trying a new recipe to cook, uh, and it's a what if or what if, or stepping out and meeting a new friend, or, or going into a, a, an uncomfortable situation and you begin the what if game. Well, by asking yourself a lot of pessimistic what ifs, you are letting the possibility that something may go wrong interrupt your own rational thinking. That's what often happens. Well, here's one suggestion for turning that around. You take the negative question that you wanted to ask, and for example, well, what if something terrible happens on the trip? And you turn it into a positive question and say, what if I have a really good time on this trip? That flips the whole scenario. Or if it's about... Uh, trying a new dish, something as simple as that. And, oh, I don't know if I'll ever like that. What if it tastes terrible and I've spent all this money? Well, you switch it to, well, what if I end up really loving this food? And so you, you switch even the, the thought process in your brain when you do that and you open yourself up to possibilities. By questioning the choices you are being faced with, Uh, using wishful thinking, you are bound to have a better attitude toward the situation and show that you're open-minded instead of closed-minded. So if that is a theme in your life and you're hearing people say, you seem to have such a closed mind, or you never try anything new, or why don't you branch out and, and lips kind of um, uh, on the moment for, in the moment for, for a little bit, then it might be a clue that you're living in the what-ifs in a negative way instead of making them a positive question. Well, so Moses has given that objection, and God responds again, and he says, just tell them who I am, who you know me to be. And that's the same message he gives us in our what-ifs. When we don't know what to say or what to do, God is still with us. He he tells a sister, I know who you know me to be. You know me to be a good God, a loving God, and I'm going to be there to help you in your what-ifs. I can help you to do the hard things. I can help you through all of your what-ifs, no matter whatever is going on. So God tells Moses, now go on and call together all the elders of Israel. So think about that. Moses now is resistant, but God says, now go, now go. And then God gives him a plan and call together all the elders. So do you ever recall a situation where somebody is trying to help you through your setback or through your time in the pit? And they said, make a suggestion. Now, why don't you go and do so-and-so? They're trying to nudge you forward, to move you forward. But do you know Moses continues with his excuses? I think he really wants to stay stuck in a setback. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That you come up with so many excuses and reasons and protests and what ifs that it sounds as if you just want to stay stuck. But so the scripture tells us in Exodus 4 verse 1, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, you hear this, what if, what if, the Lord never appeared to you? Mm. So here's what he's saying. Nobody's going to believe me. What if nobody listens? What if no one believes what I'm saying about the one true God? What if they doubt me? See, those excuses just continue Are you the excuse giver in chief (laughs) that like there's always a reason that you can't get unstuck? We've all got that friend who's always late or one who always complains that it's just too hard to lose weight. Uh, You know, who hasn't heard about that person who's just so busy that they can't fit in time to do this and that? Well, that's a lot of us who who find those reasons not to do what we've been asked to do. Well, God answers again. He continues to motivate and encourage and push Moses out of his setback. And he says, hey, Moses, what is in your hand? Show them what I can do, and I will give you the power to show them truth. So God asks Moses, what is in his hand? And Moses answers, answers very simple. He says, it's a rod. God went on to use that rod in his hand to show and give Moses authority. God was showing Moses that he possessed all he needed right there in the palm of his hands. God used Moses' own hands to do his work. See, he used what he had. He, he didn't have, Moses didn't have to go out and find other things. God equipped him to do the thing God has, had asked him to do. So, uh, you know, when we're uncertain about our authority or our ability to do something, to, to serve him or to work for him or to, to do anything that he's called on us to do, God says, what's right there in your hand? What are the abilities I've already given you? What are the skills and talents and your personality strengths that have already given you? God gives us what we need to move out of our pits you know he, he sends someone who's going to listen, perhaps he gives you ideas about how to move out of your sadness or your sorrow. You might feel the urging of the Holy Spirit to to call someone or to to listen to a sermon. And those would be things that would get you out of bed or to move you forward just a little bit. Uh, You know, have you ever been invited to go somewhere to do something when you're in your setback and you're resistant to do it? But then when you flip your thinking, your what-if thinking, it might be that you ask, well, what if this is my opportunity to move forward? And then you resist, oh, no, I'm just not ready. No, that's not the thing for me. No, too uncomfortable. But the real what if is, what if this is what helps me? What if this helps me to get to the place I need to be? He gives each of us what we need to do, which is what he wants us to do. So do you prevent a comeback? Because you don't let him use you with your own set of gifts and talents and abilities. So I want you to write down Um, either on your paper uh, in front of you or just in your head, your own list, list of your own gifts and your talents and your skills and hobbies and spiritual gifts or personality strengths that you can use to help you get out of your setback. What do you have? Because what often happens is we're living in our weaknesses well, it's truly what we're having, not what often happens. It is what happens when we are stuck in a setback that we are living in weaknesses. And we want to begin to look at the strengths of our personality, of our gifts, of our talents, of our spiritual gifts. We want to look at those to help us get out. And then if you're not particularly living in a setback right now, then what are those things that you can use to help others, help them, help to pull them out of their own setback. And so what are your own gifts and talents and hobbies and spiritual gifts? So write that down and and begin to pray about how those can be used to help yourself or to help others. Well, back to Moses, and I know you're not going to believe this, but Moses has another excuse. And this time, Exodus 4 verse 10 tells us, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I am not very good with words. I never have been. Listen to that. I never have been, and I'm not now. Do you hear that stubbornness? Even though you've spoken to me, he says, even though you've talked to me, I'm still not good, never been good. He said, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. So Moses' concern now is, I just don't speak well, and I'm not good with words. God comes back with another reassurance, another answer, and he says, you know, I made you. And he said, I made your mouth. That's the bottom line. you know that um, uh, of you that are using excuses, that part of you that you're blaming for keeping you stuck, you know that part that you're you're holding on to to keep you in your stuck place, God made made you He made the good part of that. He made you and you're using His creation to keep you stuck. That is such backwards thinking, isn't it? You're using the part of you he created to prevent you from finding a way forward. That's where we move into stubbornness. That's where Moses was. Moses, stubborn Moses, continued with whining and moaning. Exodus 4.13 tells us, but Moses again pleaded. And this time, look at his plea. Lord, please send someone else. He's saying, Lord, I just can't do it. Here's how it sounds in our back and stuck places. Lord, I can't. I just can't do it. Wow, do you, do you follow the line of excuses and what ifs until we get that point of stuck, stubborn resistance? I just can't do it. Um, Are you looking into your life now and finding a setback or a point of resistance where this is true for you? Or maybe it has been in the past, but it's not so true now. Or are you dealing with people in your life who are living in this kind of setback? Well, this is a limitation of, of, of a terrible sort. So do you use these excuses for not moving forward? Do you keep saying, but, but? Do you keep talking back to God? Well, if you keep making excuses for staying in the pit, for living in your setback, for being stuck, you're becoming your worst enemy. And that's what was happening to Moses. But do you know that God went on to help Moses work through his fear, his insecurities, and his perceived limitation? Because that's what it was. It was perception. And God told Mo- Moses that he was going to send help. So when Moses said, I can't do it, do you know that God did another workaround? He said, I'm going to send your own brother, Aaron. And do you know, even after that, help is coming along uh, in the form of another person who can take Moses by the hand and help him. Still, Moses was reluctant to lead, he was scared. His fear kept him from seeing the future God saw for him. But do you know he eventually worked through that? He eventually trusted God and gave him his life and allowed God to use him with all the resources that God had promised. He promised to give him the words. He promised to help him to use what was in his hand. He promised to uh, help him to untangle his tongue. He promised to send his uh, own brother Aaron to help him, and Moses took hold of it. And it was only then that Moses was able to start his comeback from a huge setback in his life, He ended up accepting God's call, and he led the Israelites for 40 years through that wilderness. His fear almost cheated him out of God's plan for his life. At some point, do you see that Moses was stubborn and he was prideful? He was too proud to seek help. You know, uh, are we often guilty of ignoring God's answers for us? You know, so many times people pray for help. God, help me. God, give me a sign. Help me to find my way out of this mess. And lo and behold, answers come along. Someone shows up with ways to move you on, with offers to take you to lunch or visit with you or take you somewhere. You hear a sermon or a lesson or you read a devotion with all kinds of ideas and suggestions and hope. God is offering you Aaron. (laughs) He's giving you a person to help you. And you still find excuses. It's interpreted by others and by God as saying this. You know, no, 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 I'm just fine right here. I am good in my cave. I'll get out eventually. I'll get there. Don't worry about me. Now listen here. It's often good to stay um, in, in your time of meditation and quiet reflection for a time when we have encountered a horrible thing in our life a minor thing in our life. And the degree to which we stay there is dependent on many things. It could be the degree to the tragedy that we've experienced when we're, we're dealing with heavy guilt, I mean heavy um, grief and that may be an extended time that we need to stay in um, in a little bit of a period of meditation and, and, and prayerful hope and consideration and, and that is very different from other kinds of uh, things that have happened in our life. And we have to figure that out and sort through that. But often we stay stuck much longer than is necessary. Believe me, outsiders. By that, I mean those outside the cave or the pit, the stuck places, can help see your way out better than you can many times. But remember back to those uh, angry little people who had had their cheese stolen? They wanted to stay stuck, didn't they? And some people just want to stay stuck. Sometimes fear and pride prevent us from doing what God asks us to do. And so then I encourage us to ask ourselves the question, what blessing might I be missing because I'm stuck in a setback? See, the comeback is always greater than the setback. Moses had a comeback story. He did not think he could do anything useful for God. But along with his brother Aaron, he went to Pharaoh and told him to let God's people go. And eventually Pharaoh did that, and the whole nation had a comeback story. Now, even after that, Moses had relapses, and he disobeyed God uh, a few times after that. And God wouldn't even let him get into the promised land as a consequence. And so things don't always go perfect for us after we come out of a setback. But here's what is is the hope at the end. We fast forward to the New Testament, and there's a story of Jesus hiking up a mountain with two of his disciples, and something supernatural happened. Jesus' clothes turned a radiant white. And he shone in brilliant glory in the presence of his disciples. And alongside Jesus, two others appeared, and one of them was Moses. Wow, take that in for just a moment. That was a pretty powerful comeback, wasn't it? It, In the grace of God, there is a comeback for people who've already had a comeback and need another. We're going to have setbacks, and we're going to need a comeback, and we'll have another setback, and we need to keep coming back. Well, let's look at this idea of making excuses and living in the what-ifs. We often say, I'm not good enough, and we feel that there's a point in our lives that we just can't do the things that we Uh, need to do and want to do, and that's an inner voice that is constantly telling us that we're just not good enough to do it. But that voice can change. Another voice we often hear is, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to do it. And it can often be just an indication that we're avoiding something that we're afraid to do. Well, you can have results or you can have excuses but you can't have both. You can have results or you can have excuses, but we just can't have both of them. Now, I want to move into uh, the period of this session that uh, I'm doing some coaching to help us figure out our stuck places and to how to move uh, out of those. So I dare say that if Moses were analyzed today, he would be diagnosed with these two things, anticipatory anxiety and feelings of insecurity. So we're going to take each of those and see how that might look in our lives. So feelings of insecurity, there is an internal dialogue that accompanies our feelings of insecurity, and it's called that critical inner voice. And it's formed out of really painful experiences that we have had. Um, it, it's maybe something we've witnessed or experienced. Uh, maybe there have been hurtful attitudes toward us or, or those who have uh, been around us. And often it has happened uh, when people have grown up and they've just heard a lot of criticism. And so what happens as, as people grow older, older, they unconsciously adopt those patterns of destructive thoughts and they turn those inward and it's clear that many things that shape our critical inner voice from negative attitudes directed toward us or it could be attitudes that our parents had toward themselves but they get internalized and we keep these alive by believing in them and they become our insecurities. Now, it may sound like this. The critical inner voice, it it may be something like, I am so stupid, or I am unattractive, or I don't ever get anything right, or I'm not like other people, or I'm a failure, or I'm such a loser, or I never make friends, and nobody will ever love me, and I just can't quit this or quit that bad habit, and I'm not going to accomplish it. what's the point? So, If that sounds familiar, any of that language, it might be from this insecurity that you have, and it's this inner critical voice you're hearing. That voice gets louder and louder the closer we get to achieving the goals we have. And so you begin to to tell yourself things like, you're going to mess this up. Everybody's going to know you're a failure. So why don't you just quit before it gets too late? And so often we react to these thoughts before we even realize we're having them. And it becomes our life pattern. You know, we, we begin to see that we're around a group of people and all of a sudden we get backward and shy. Uh, we start pulling away from relationships. We then begin to project these attacks on the people around us. And uh, those attacks are because we're living in a false identity of ourselves. So now just imagine what life would be like if you didn't hear any of these mean thoughts in your head. Imagine how they might actually look if you dismissed those, those critical thoughts of insecurity. Well, it can happen. So you can overcome this uh, insecurity. And I want to talk through this process of interrupting that voice that we have. And there are some points I want to share about how to switch our thinking on this. First of all, begin to change those the sound of those critical thoughts to the second person. So instead of saying, I am so stupid and what's the matter with me? That then you change it to you are stupid. So just that little switch, this is the first stage. So you say you are stupid and you'll never be successful. And so what that does is separating those vicious attacks by seeing them as somebody else describing who you are instead of you describing yourself. So the first thing is to switch that language to the second person. Next step is ask yourself, what or who that reminds you of so when you say this word you are so stupid in your head or you're never going to make it you're never going to be a success you're never going to do the right thing who does this remind you of in your past it will help you to uncover the relationship between this voice and any other experiences that you've had that have have shaped that concept in your in your mind and so that What we hope that will uncover is some self-compassion and your ability to begin rejecting it by telling yourself that was this person's view, but it is not my reality. And you begin to think, switch your thinking. So the way you do that in step number three is you start standing up for yourself. This is hard because you've, uh, you've had this belief for a long time. It's been drilled into you by others and you repeat it over and over. It's an insecurity. And so you are now going to answer back to to that inner critical voice. You're going to respond to it and stand up. And you're going to do that in a way that you would advise a friend to do if you heard that friend saying something about herself or himself. And you're going to respond to yourself with kindness and compassion. And so you tell yourself, I am not stupid and I can achieve things and there are a whole lot of things I have done and there are a whole lot of smart things I've done and I've made some wise decisions. So I am not the stupid person. I am a kind person. I am a a compassionate person. You stand up for yourself and I encourage you to verbalize it, vocalize it, say it out loud, write it down because we're switching our thinking. Step four is to reflect on how this voice is influencing your behaviors. How does it look, this voice of, I'm so stupid, I can't ever finish anything, I will never lose weight, I am incompetent, I am a fool, everybody's laughing at me. How is it affecting life in in your home, at the workplace, uh, with a relationship, with a, a spouse, with a parent, with children, in any of your personal desires? They will be, this critical voice is influencing your present the way it influenced your past. And so think then about what are the triggers for that insecurity? In what area is this insecurity really surfacing? At what times and in what locations and what situations? So this is a time of self-reflection. And then finally, number five is the final step involves a plan to change the behaviors. Well, this is not easy. Uh, It's hard to make that change. And change comes with anxiety. You've had this voice for a long time. And so when you decide to change, just remember this, those inner critical voices are going to get louder. Did you notice that with Moses? Did you notice at every opportunity that God gave him to move forward, his inner critical voice got louder and louder. His insecurities got louder and louder until he said, I cannot do this. And that's often what happens to us. We get we get stuck and we get stubborn and we say, I just can't do it. So expect that to happen. Your insecurities aren't going to go away overnight but they will begin to weaken if you consistently practice doing those things of, uh, first of all, um, uh, vocalize the thoughts, change it from I to you, then ask yourself, where did that come from? Where did that start? Then stand up for yourself, talk about yourself in loving and kind ways, and then reflect about how your behaviors have changed because of this inner voice, and then, commit to change and that can look so in so many ways for people it's it's you figure out your path forward or you seek help from somebody else you talk to a trusted friend you get counseling you get coaching to help lead you forward in that plan so that is uh the first coaching tip i wanted to share about how to deal with insecurities and critical inner voice that affected Moses. Moses eventually gave in to God, didn't he? And that's what we ultimately need to do. Well, the other thing I think that Moses was suffering from was something that's called anticipatory anxiety. Now, that comes from fear or worries about things that could happen, that might happen, that we are anticipating happening. It's a fear of situations or events or any kind of experience in the future. And so sometimes we get this fear because of past experiences. Uh, And so we have had a bad experience in the past and so now we think, okay, it might happen again. So I need to be ready for that and I'm gonna be fearful and I'm gonna worry about it. And we saw this in Moses because of the what-ifs. He kept saying, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if they ask me this question? And what if I'm called on to speak? And I don't know what to tell them about who you are, God. And what if they don't believe me? See, that's anticipation of something that might happen. Well, what <laughs> when we begin to do that, we get we can get symptoms of fear and anxiety. And it could be anything from... Oh, you get a little chest pain, you have difficulty concentrating, you're feeling just a little bit apprehensive, but it can also show up in other ways. We can have sleep issues, we have stomach issues, a loss of appetite, uh, we become numb and we get emotional. So that anticipatory anxiety is something to be aware of. Now, okay, let's agree. It's normal to be anxious about the future. There's nothing unusual about getting concerned over things, but there is a big difference between being concerned about things in the future and having anticipatory anxiety. And I wanna talk us through that. There is what is called phasic fear, P-H-A-S-I-C, and that word comes from phases. Uh, so this first initial phase of fear receives a predictable threat. Okay, so there has been, for example, the hurricane that is uh, um, on the ground now in New Orleans, that there is a fear that's associated with that. And that fear was based on a predictable threat. And so there is action that needs to be taken with that kind of fear. So that is a fear that is so justified because it calls us to action. And then there is um, anticipatory fear. And that anticipatory lasts a longer time and it is a reaction to an unpredictable threat. Now, there's anticipation about something that might happen, but it's unpredictable. So, forecasting disaster scenarios leads us to feel very fearful and worried. So, although it's very unlikely to happen, a person starts to imagine what those disasters would be like. And so, you begin to catastrophize, and you begin to forecast gloom and doom, and you begin, the sky is falling, thinking, And so when we do that, that gets settled into our mind of all the things that could happen, the what ifs, and the mind cannot tell the difference between reality and a vividly imagined thought. And so our mind begins to experience fear. So this anticipatory anxiety can go beyond uh, the limits of what people experience. And it's, um, or should experience, and it can be a very frightening thing. And this is what was happening to Moses as he became set in on what uh, he did not want to do, what God was asking him to do. Now, let's look at how uh, anticipatory uh, anxiety looks in our own world. Uh, For example, some people have a social phobia. That means they are anxious about being with, around other people. And so uh, they begin to worry that what if I fall or what if I stumble or what if I make a gaffe or, or what if I spill something. Or, and so they, they have all this anxiety about being in a social setting. And so their mind starts in overdrive with that. Um, some, if you're asked to talk in front of a group of people, then you imagine you're doing, saying the wrong thing. This is what Moses was doing. Uh, if you're supposed to meet somebody new, you imagine you're going to flub up on that. And so those are the what ifs. So social phobia is a very uh, common example of an anticipatory anxiety. Well, and then sometimes anticipatory anxiety moves into panic and it can uh, cause some panic attacks. And so you then are, because in, your, in the situation, you um, panic in social anxiety, or if you're anticipating whatever, and your, your palms get sweaty, you begin to uh, perspire all over, you wring your hands, your, your fingers get really tight, you uh shift your eyes from people and you look down you sometimes have palpitations and so it starts to show up physically and so then it happens and then here's what happens to make this continue is you begin to have anticipatory anxiety about the next attack and you start saying well when's this going to happen again what if it happens when i'm driving uh will it cause me to get in an accident uh will i embarrass myself what What is going to happen the next time? Now, panic attacks can be linked to situations in the past, and it can be something that is big, or it can be small. Uh, I don't know how many of you out there have had panic attacks. Um, Anybody, you know, uh, let me know if if you've had some, because I have. And I want to share with you um, a frightening experience that I've had with panic attacks and uh, anticipatory anxiety. About two years ago, I experienced a panic attack uh, that was related to flying. Uh, my sister Lori and I had flown to Florida, and on the return flight, the weather was really muggy, and the, uh, there was a storm coming, and we were on the tarmac. The storm dissipated, and there was just, um, there was just some light rainfall and so i at the same time had some sinus issues and i know those of you who know me are saying well what's new with that but anyway we took off and at the takeoff i had what is called an airplane headache it was the worst most frightening headache i had ever experienced and i have dealt with migraines so it was caused by this sinus pressure that i had that was working against the cabin pressure and the speed of the airplane as it is reaching altitude. Well, m- the pressure in my head was so great that it felt as if it was pushing me down in the seat. And my, ins- uh, my impulse was to un- undo my seatbelt and to get out of my seat and to run. Now, Lori and I were separated on this flight, so she wasn't there to witness it or to comfort me. My errand was not there, we can say. My head hurt for the duration of the flight, and it lasted even after the flight, and I was really scared. Um, As a result, I I began to have anticipatory anxiety. I woke up in the middle of the night for weeks after that, um, on and off. It wasn't every night, but I, I thought it was smothering and I would throw the covers off, and I would run through the house, and I would go outside to breathe. I had to just kind of be set free, and I I would go outside, and I would take a breath, and I would eventually calm myself, and then I had two more flights with panic attacks, and it was from the same thing, the pressure in my sinuses, the pressure in the cabin, and on takeoff, and in those, I was sitting by myself as well, and I I eventually learned what to do when I was having them, <clears throat> having those, and I began to learn to calm myself down um, I, ended up, I mean I had some treatment for this, and um, i 'm working through this and i, and I am I, I can say that i haven 't had one now in well over a year, but it has been a hard journey, so I relate to many of you. Uh, who have dealt with anticipatory anxiety and what it can do. I am out on the other side of it and I have made a comeback from it. But here's a strategy, and I know if I'm about to have one of these, uh, here's what I do. And it's a five step process that I learned. First of all, it's a practice of breathing and breathing properly. And I use the three, four, five method of breathing Um, I breathe in for three seconds. I hold it for four seconds, and then I breathe out like I'm blowing through a straw for five seconds. That helps reset my brain. It helps to get the airflow to my brain. And I do that um, uh, repeatedly, uh, I mean several times. And then the next thing is important to do is to close your eyes. Close your eyes and get focused. The third thing is to to go ahead and call it for what it is and say, I am having a panic attack. I'm having a panic attack. So that gets you in touch with reality so that you know that this is what is going on in your world and it's not as if you're out of your body and you call it what it is. The next thing is you open your eyes and you stare at something in great detail and you become very focused on that. So I would look at something directly in front of me on the airplane and I would stay focused. And then the next thing it said is to move. So immediately when uh, the uh, fasten seatbelt sign is on, I would get up and i would walk into the plane and so on one occasion my sister was sitting uh, rose ahead of me and i wrote i walked up there and i just stood behind her tapped her on the shoulder explained what was happening and so i got back into reality and connected with other people and that was so important for me so those are the steps that are recommended that i learned uh when you're having um an attack that um is a panic attack so i hope i hope that tip, that strategy will help you. Um, so how do we cope with this? Anticipatory anxiety can put a stress on our relationships if we don't get it controlled. And if we keep asking the what ifs, it can be really limiting to our lifestyle because we're avoiding scenarios that cause you fear. And you, those who know me know that I like nothing better than getting on an airplane and taking a trip whether it is somewhere just a few uh hours away in in our country or overseas i love it better than anything and and i was really concerned that i was not going to be able to fly anymore but i have overcome that and i'm able to do the things that i love and i want to do Uh, so we can cope with this anxiety but we have to work to overcome it so um Let's look at the overall category of anticipatory anxiety. And, I, and I'm moving away a bit from panic attacks to just this idea of I'm afraid uh, of, of what's going to happen and I'm asking the what if. So here are some things that help us to cope when we're dealing with this kind of anxiety. First of all, getting enough sleep. That is like the number one thing for just about all that um, is affecting our body. Get enough sleep. And that can help lessen our anxiety. Uh, getting uh, enough sleep, uh, not getting enough, is going to exacerbate this exacerbate the situation, because lack of sleep fires up these regions in our brain that are associated with processing emotions. See, when we're asleep, all of that is is resting. Um, we have uh, this this. Ability to remove our, our conscious mind from what's happening in our world when we're sleeping. And when we can't get adequate sleep, then we will become more anxious. And so the next step is to practice relaxation, and such as deep breathing or doing meditation, uh, going into a time of, of thinking and praying. And so I use that deep breathing 3 four, five method that I just shared with you. Here's the next uh, strategy, is to do some self-talk. In other words, talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend who's having uh, a similar experience. Talk yourself down. And so, say self, you know, this is this is not based on reality. What you're thinking is just your anxious thoughts, and you know from past experience those anxious thoughts will get away, so now come on, let's, let's pull it back to reality. There, That's a, a strategy. Here's another one, find a healthy distraction. So I always advise this, whether you are having anticipatory anxiety or negative thinking, is to switch the channel in your brain. If you're in the car, actually switch the channel uh, on the radio. If you're in the house, switch the channel on the television. Do something active. Uh, Take a walk, listen to music, do your favorite hobby, exercise, call a friend. Actually do something to distract this thinking. And then the next one is to challenge those thoughts. Ask yourself questions like, are you being real here? Is this real is this realistic? Challenge those thoughts with realistic ones. And then the next one is related to that, reframe your thinking. You can use reframing to overcome those faulty thought patterns and change your perception of a feared situation. Like turn that negative question into something positive. What if I meet those neat people on this thing I'm afraid to do? Or here you can reframe it by using a scripture verse. What time I am afraid I will trust in you. And then the next strategy I would say is to do scripture affirmations. Every time the enemy speaks lies to you about being rejected or a failure, every time, speak affirmations out loud. Post them. Carry them. Keep them handy. Um, I am providing the, the group with a handout of scripture affirmations that you can use. And finally, I say pray. Offer a prayer for clarity and peace in your insecurity and anxiety. And let me close with one of those prayers. Father, in the midst of stress and panic, please open my eyes. Show me what you are doing right now. Reminds me that you are greater than all the negative thoughts, the fear, the stress, and the anxiety. Help me to see where you are at work in my life. And give me your joy and encouragement. It is in the name of Jesus, who is for me, that I offer this prayer. Amen.